Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl, and thank you for joining me as always on today's show. I'm going to be talking about the play-in format in the NBA. I'm going to be talking about the willingness of professional sports leagues to embrace trial and error. And I'm going to be talking about why professional sports leagues should be doing everything in their power to embrace competition. All of that on the other side of a word from our presenting sponsor, the one, the only, Traeger Grills. With your masquerading and you always Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. There is a famous American poet named Theodore Retke, who won a Pulitzer Prize in the 50s for a collection of poems he wrote called The Waking. And I'm going to start today's show with a stanza from a poem by that same name. This is how it goes. This shaking keeps me steady, I should know. What falls away is always and is near. I wake to sleep and take my waking slow. I learn by going where I have to go. We're going to hone in on that last line because I think it's a great, brilliant piece of wisdom, which poems at their best do. Uh, they distill down a really incredible truth about life and they give it to you in a finite amount of words. It's the draw of poetry. So I learn by going where I have to go. The path is never really clear until you're on the path. This is how that works. You learn by going where you have to go. Again, brilliant line and super true. There are almost no times in my own life where I have this clear vision of what I'm doing. And then I, I do that and I go, oh, I was right this whole time. And I had this brilliant idea and, and it went exactly how I planned. That's never happened once in my life, actually. I have to go and do. And through that process of trial and error, that's kind of how I find my way. For me, it's more error a lot of times. But again, that's the process by which you build whatever the best version of yourself is. In my prior job, where I was more engaged with business and entrepreneurship, and I would interview people who were also in that world, this is a foundational principle within those places. Trial and error. That's how the great businesses for all of time have been built. You look at Apple, you look at Google, you look at Amazon, all of the behemoths that currently run the world, and they're built upon that line. I learn by going where I have to go. Uh, they don't have these, Jeff Bezos doesn't have this grand vision 20 years ago where he just goes, I'm going to have Amazon and it's going to be three bazillion different things and it's going to run the whole world and everybody's going to love it for the most part. He's got to go through this process, trial and error, trial and error, throw things at the dartboard, what sticks, what doesn't, what have I learned, what can I take from what I've learned? Okay, this is how you refine a product. This is how you build something into a better version of itself. It's an idea that I think most people grasp and believe in and use within their own lives to try and be better. Another very simple idea within normal life is competition is good. I'll go back to business and entrepreneurship. That's another foundational principle that competition in business breeds the very best products. 
You know, the, the great American dream is anybody can rise up. And if you put in hard work and you go through this process of trial and error and you produce something that consumers want, you can go from nothing to everything. And we all believe in that and, and agree with it when it comes to normal life. And yet when we transition into the world of sports, sometimes these ideas are met with resistance especially if it disrupts the status quo. That's something that professional sports leagues, they fight a battle with. How much of the status quo do I want to protect? And how much do I want to innovate and try and create a better product? So me on the consumer side, I'm always leaning towards the first part of that. I go, I want you to continually be looking at ways to make a better version of yourself. I look at a sport like Major League Baseball, and I say, why are we grasping onto this 162-game regular season solely because all of the statistics of the past mean something? You know, the home run record in a season, RBI record, batting 400 for a season, all of those are tied into the history of baseball. And yet, I look at the format in present day and I go, do we want 162 games? It seems like the season drags on forever. It seems like none of the games really mean anything. Isn't there a way that you could better refine this product to create what is cool about baseball, which is the playoffs, which is that sense of urgency that comes about when you know the very best players in the world are playing a game that means a lot. So I'll transition to another sports league, the NBA. Because one of the things that has always bothered me with that league is a lack of urgency when it comes to the regular season and the widespread embrace of tanking, especially within the last decade or so, I would say. Those are, those are principles and, and ideas that go contrary to what I want, the best competition, and as consistent as we can get it. I don't want to have to sit and wait for the NBA playoffs to happen before I can watch the best players playing games that mean a lot. And in fact, I would prefer that the NBA try to mimic the playoffs as much as possible and cater towards the idea that competition is good. I want these people playing games that matter. So these things kind of work in unison. You know, this lack of urgency in the regular season and the widespread embrace of tanking. In the past and still in present day, but not to as as much of an extent as we saw in the past and hopefully this continues to get better as the NBA can try to find ways to weed out of the game in the past we've seen when a team is out of a playoff race they go into tank mode the most egregious example of this would be the the process in the Philadelphia 76ers and I don't say this to say oh I'm so mad at the at the Philadelphia 76ers and and they should play their games and they should have tried to win that's a loophole within the rules that the NBA created because of how they structured their season. And in a league where talent is everything, and at the time, lottery odds were at their best for the team with the worst record, it was in your best interest to try and lose games if you weren't in a playoff race because you would maximize your chances of picking number one or number two or number three. And by doing so, you maximize your chances of getting the best talent. And if you do that over the course of years, which Philadelphia did, uh, Daryl Morey, he, he, I mean, he created the process. He said, we're just going to be so freaking bad for the next three, four, five years, however long it's going to take. We're not going to apologize for that. We're not going to 
go out of our way to pretend like we're even trying to win. We'll fill the terrible roster nonstop, but we will always pick high in the draft. We will always do our best to try and gather more young assets and draft picks to try and build this team. And because of the NBA structure, it actually incentivized teams to do that. And still, to a certain extent in present day. So the NBA has realized this about itself, this lack of urgency within the regular season and the, incentive, or the incentives of teams to tank. So they go, we do need to get better at this because a lot of fans are turned off by this. And so they reduce the lottery odds. They say, rather than in the past, if you're number one, you have a whatever percentage chance of, or if you have the worst record, you have a whatever percentage chance of getting the number one pick. Now they turn it into tiers. So there's less incentives for teams to lose as much as possible relative to the other teams that are losing. And that's a good baby step, but there's still a lot of work that can be done in that area. So we don't have teams like Houston or Oklahoma City right now in present day that are doing everything in their power to lose because it's still in their best interest to do so. Those are young teams with a lack of talent. And so the quickest way to be able to get talent is to draft high in the draft especially for small market teams who are not going to be able to attract that through free agency. So now we introduce the play-in format, which for those of you who don't know what it is, this is the first year the NBA is experimenting with a new playoff format. In the past, one through eight made the playoffs in each conference, and they would match up one versus eight, two versus seven, so on. This year, it's open to 10 teams, but the last four teams in each conference, the seven, the eight, the nine, and the 10, they play play-in games. So the seven and the eight will play one game at the end of the regular season. Whoever wins that is now the seventh seed. The loser of that game plays the winner of the 9-10 game. And whoever wins that next game is now the eighth seed. So I hear about this and I go, this is gonna be pretty damn cool because it's tapping into what I want. Competition is good. As much playoff style basketball as we can get and as much as we can incentivize teams to play games that matter that's very good on the consumer side so the controversy now has been Luka Doncic and Mark Cuban and LeBron James they've all come out because they're in the battle for a playing spot right now and they go we don't really like this which is fine they're entitled to their own opinions uh, and that's kind of turned into its own version of sports talk that I don't really love, which is rather than talking about the plane itself and the idea that a professional sports league is experimenting with something that looks pretty tasty in present day, it's turned into, is, is LeBron wrong or right for saying this? I don't really care. It doesn't, that, it doesn't matter to me. We'll forget about who said what about this playing format in two days and what we will take out of it is what I want. Is the playing good? Does it increase competition? Does it incentivize teams to tank less? Does it encourage more teams to play for the duration of the regular season and fill their best roster and try as hard as they can? There's always a balance to be found for a professional sports league between what is most scintillating for the consumer and what is most equitable in determining a champion. And that sets the stage perfectly for this play-in format. I'm going to read a quote from John Hollinger of The Athletic. What's clear already from the lead up to the play-in format is that, one, it's working spectacularly well, and two, there are virtually no negative unintended consequences. This extra dash of salt in the NBA playoff race has produced excitement at nearly every level of the standings. The most important is that teams in the 9th, 
through 12th spots are actually trying in late season games because they have something to play for instead of resting veteran players with suspicious tendonitis cases in a quest for more ping pong balls, end quote. So this is huge. And the more we are seeing it in actuality, the more I think fans and everyone in the NBA who's not playing for these playing spots understands how good this is for the game. And maybe, hopefully, gets the ball rolling for the NBA on, ooh, this is the process of trial and error that we're using. What are other ways maybe we can tap into a similar mindset and make our sport better? So now we're staring down the barrel tonight of a Lakers-Blazers game. The Lakers are riddled with injuries. Anthony Davis hurt his back last night. He's supposed to play tonight. LeBron's still sitting out with an ankle. Dennis Schroeder's not playing because of COVID protocol. Taylor Horton Tucker, he's also out. The Blazers, they've been piecemealing together their, uh, their roster for the duration of the season, but they still have these high-level stars, you know? You have Dame Lillard coming out. You got C.J. McCollum coming out. They're an entertaining basketball team. And in the past, a game like tonight, we're a couple weeks away from the end of the regular season. And the Lakers are currently in the sixth seed. The Blazers are currently in the seventh seed in the West. And there's no room for them to fall out of the eighth spot. Even if they were to have a great losing streak, they would still be in that spot, okay? And in the past, these teams, especially the team like the Lakers, their number one incentive would be, look, we're going to be in the playoffs regardless. We need our team at full strength. So we'll rest our players. We'll fill the roster that's probably going to get bashed on by everybody. And that's fine, as long as we're healthy come playoff time. There's no real incentive for them to do otherwise in the past. And yet now, here we are, and whoever is the seventh seed, instead of just automatically being into the playoffs, they have to play a playing game against the eight. And if they lose that game, they are now in a playing game against the winner of the 9-10. And if they lose that game, they are not in the playoffs. So you got a lot of incentives for the Lakers to play this game and to fill the best roster possible. And it creates added stress and tension in a playoff race that normally in this spot, the five, the Dallas is at five, they're one game ahead of the Lakers in Portland. There wouldn't be a lot of tension. It would just be a jockeying for who would I rather play in the first round. Each team kind of probably has a different opinion. I match up better with this team, so I'd rather play the Clippers. I match up better with the Suns. I'd rather fall to this spot. And there wouldn't be a lot of intrigue. And you definitely wouldn't get a really intense high-level regular season game with two weeks to go in the regular season because there wasn't a lot riding on that in the past. But now, if you put it in front of a team and you say, you're going to have to play a couple game sevens just to get into the playoffs if you fall into that seven seed, and that creates a pretty thrilling product. So now I can go on a Friday night at an 8 o'clock ESPN game, and in the past I would just, I wouldn't watch tonight's game because Anthony Davis wouldn't be playing and LeBron wouldn't be playing and the Blazers would probably cream him and I'd just go, I'd rather watch something else. I'll go watch hockey. I'll watch regular season baseball. Anything but just these skeleton rosters shoved out there by NBA teams to bide time until the playoffs begin. I go down the standings and Hollinger men mentions the, the 9th through the 12 spots and that's also great drama that we wouldn't have in the past. I look in the West, 
and Golden State is in the eighth spot. They're a half game up on Memphis for the ninth. That's a big thing because if you're in the eighth spot, you have two opportunities. You can win the first game or you can win the second game and you're into the playoffs. If you're in the ninth spot, you have to win two games in order to get into the playoffs. You don't have room for a loss. And so there's a big push and pull between those two teams, jockeying for the eight and the nine. You go to nine and 10 in the West or 10 and 11. And you have San Antonio there, who's a game and a half up on New Orleans. And you have a Pelicans team who's a game and a half out of a playing spot. And in the past, that would mean they are the 11th seed and they're very far away from making the playoffs in the eighth spot. And that team who has a brilliant young player in Zion Williamson, another one in Brandon Ingram, they would be going out of their way to do stuff like these suspicious tendonitis cases of the past where they're not playing anymore. And it's in the Pelicans' best interest to lose games, to maximize their ping pong ball odds in the lottery. And yet now with the playing game, we're getting a much better product because the Pelicans are trying and they're a game and a half out of a playing spot where they go, worst case scenario. It's very valuable to get playoff reps, even if th those playoffs are a one, one game and a loss, just to feel that pressure and that intensity, that baptism by fire I talked about last week. That's meaningful for young players because the regular season is very different from the playoffs. The tension, the nerves, how teams plan for you, how you feel when you're doing it, all of that kind of stuff. That's valuable for a young team to play for. And opening up a window where the 11th place team and the 12th place team, they still think like they can get at the very least that experience, that's valuable. That incentivizes them to continue playing. And we're seeing that with the Pelicans. They're trying, they're fielding their best roster every night. They're treating these games with a sense of urgency and making me want to watch them as a consumer where I can assure you in the past, I would not be watching a team like the Pelicans at this point in the regular season because they wouldn't be fielding their best roster. They'd be playing in these meaningless games. And even if they were, you tell, you can tell when you watch players how much urgency they have for that game, especially in a regular season that's 82 games or 162 games in baseball. You can feel that through the screen when they're going through the motions, which the NBA has in spades at the end of the regular season many times. Team has clinched a one seed. All right, send out the back half of the roster and nobody really wants to watch that. Oh, we're far out of a playoff spot. Send out the back half of the roster. Let's try to increase our lottery odds. It's in the best interest of the league to weed that out and embrace the competition that's coming from this play-in format. You look over to the East, the five, six, seven spots there. Atlanta, one game up on Boston, Miami, tied for the six and the seven, much like we see in the West. That's awesome. These would normally be teams jockeying for a playoff spot, and it doesn't really matter how they line up. It's all about matchups, and most teams just go, we'd rather play that team, but who really cares? We're into the playoffs. We'll worry about the rest later. And instead, Boston and Miami, they're battling for who is in a play-in spot and who is guaranteed into the playoffs. That's a very big deal. And we see those teams have to try every single night right now. Another aspect of this play-in format that we're seeing as super beneficial that I don't think we fully comprehended until we are seeing in actuality. Again, going back to Retke, I learned by going where I have to go. We're seeing that right now with the play-in format. In a normal year, a lot of these young players or stars 
would have been shut down in search of these tank jobs because they would say we don't have it's not in our best interest to uh just try for these playoff spots that we really can't get because we're too far away or if we're a team like the warriors what's really the value of killing ourselves to get into the eighth spot and losing to the jazz or the suns in round one we don't need the experience we are already an experienced roster we've been here before so the experience thing doesn't ring true with a team like that so maybe we should just kind of sit Steph Curry and sit Draymond Green and increase our chances of getting more roster talent through the draft. That would be a very common thought in the past. And yet, partially because of the play-in format, we are seeing Golden State try. More importantly, we are seeing Steph Curry playing at his superstar level that we've seen in his MVP seasons. He's been just as good. He's an incredible joy to watch every single time he's on television. He's running around, he's shooting threes. He's almost funner to watch on this team, which is really not very good, rather than when he was on these championship teams because we gain a greater sense of, man, Steph Curry can do what he does, which is just such a unique style of basketball. He can do that in any format. The entire team's defense is trying to stop him. There's no one else on this roster that you really are scared of scoring. And yet he's battling with Bradley Bill for the scoring title. I bring up Bradley Bill. That's another good example. And the Washington Wizards, who are in the 10 spot in the East. Him and Russell Westbrook, over the last month, they've been an incredibly fun duo to watch. They don't play a lot of defense, but they bring a lot of offensive heat to the table. And they're one of the funnest teams to watch currently because they are playing for the playing spot. They're playing a very fun brand of basketball. Bradley Bill is battling out with Steph Curry for the scoring title. Westbrook has these crazy triple doubles every night. That's another byproduct of embracing the simple idea that competition is good. I mentioned Zion Williamson, another guy that we're seeing these unprecedented numbers and ability to get to the hoop and unique style of basketball. We're seeing him on display every single night because the Pelicans are chasing these playing spots. You see it with a player like LaMelo Ball, who... Fractured something on, I believe it was his wrist, a couple months back with the Hornets, who are currently in one of the playing spots in the East. And in the past, you know, the nine seed, they would just say, let's, let's shelve you. We'll try and increase our lottery odds. Don't worry about it. We're not going to fill the best team. We don't have to try really for the playoffs. It's not in our best interest. And yet a very young team goes, eh? Let's get LaMelo back in the fold. Let's, let's try as hard as we can. We do have a young and interesting, entertaining team. Let's try because this playoff experience, even if it's just one playing game or multiple, that's really valuable to a young star like LaMelo Ball. Competition is good. Very simple idea. And yet sometimes it takes us seeing it to understand that we should be exploring that over and over continually through the end of time. I'm going to read another quote from John Hollinger of The Athletic. That, in turn, has greatly expanded the universe of late-season games, where both teams are actually playing for something. While a few dregs about the bottom have been as tanktacular as ever, the fact that only six teams are truly out of playoff contention, even the Kangs remain alive, has been a huge blessing overall. One of the league's biggest scourges 
depressingly bad late season games featuring featuring glorified G League rosters from both sides has been much less of an issue this season. End quote. Tanking still exists. I mentioned Houston, Oklahoma City. They are not fun to watch. They're not trying. Any game that involves them, I would advise everybody who is listening to this or watching this, move on to something else in your life. Find another game. Find another activity. Do not watch those teams. They're not trying to play winning basketball. And that's a blight. I don't like it at all. And I wish the NBA could get even better at saying there are clear incentives or penalties for doing stuff like this. Because we want to create a product. We want to refine it every single year into a better version of itself. However, in this season, we see less teams tanking than we have in the past. And it's also easier to ignore those tanking teams. Because it's easier to ignore this when more teams are playing games that are actually playing for something. Teams actually playing for something, a novel concept. Something that, strangely enough, is worth celebration because we haven't always had that in the past with the NBA. And increasing that is a very good thing for everybody who is watching it. We don't need to worry that the people in the play-in stuff are not happy that they have to be in the play-in. All we should be worrying about is what is the best way to create a more meaningful product that that fans find an emotional connection with? And is it still an equitable way of determining who the champion is? I believe the play-in format does a great job of checking both of those boxes. So we'll loop back to the beginning because life is circular. I know by going where I have to go. That line from Retke, the embrace of experimentation, of trial and error, the willingness to search for a more refined and enjoyable product. All things worthy of celebration. All ways that these incredible businesses have been built. All ways that every professional sports league should be trying to, to go after and utilize. Uh, sports at its highest level taps into two things. World-class athleticism and immense stakes. And when you have those two things, that pops on screen or that pops in person if you are attending the game there. You always hear people talk about you could just feel what the game meant. And that comes through a television screen, strangely enough. We'll feel it tonight when the Blazers and the Lakers are playing. We'll feel it is the race for these playing spots tighten. We'll feel it when the screws are really cinched down and the play-in is going. If we have a team like the defending champion Lakers in it who have not had a lot of time to build up chemistry with some of the pieces they're trying to blend in, Montrez Harrell, Andre Drummond, Dennis Schroeder, and we haven't had a lot of time for their two superstars, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who work off the rust from their injuries, there is going to be an unbelievable amount of tension and stakes if that team is in a one-game play-in. And if they lose, and it's another one-game play-in, and if they lose, they're gonzo. That creates incredible theater. So this play-in taps into this very vein. 
and hopefully encourages the NBA and other professional sports leagues to embrace something that, as a fan, I value greatly. Competition is good. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.